2: All right, we got a special treat for you today. My one on one interview with Bucks coach Todd Bowles. I had a chance to sit down with him. Actually, it was a couple of weeks ago. We were in Nashville when they were playing the Tennessee Titans. This was on the Friday before the game. The great thing about Coach Bowles is uh he he, you know, and I wrote a story about this and you're gonna be able to read it on Tampa dot com. It's gonna be in a Sunday football section as well. You think you know Todd Bowles, and everybody has seen him, right? Coach for what, a number of years, 30-something years in coaching, a lot of years in the NFL. Saw him as the New York Jets head coach. Kind of very staid and calm on the sidelines. Um, you know, a cerebral guy, a defensive guy. But you don't really know Todd Bowles. And I assure you, if, uh, if you listen to this interview and you read the story on TampaBay.com, you're going to find out a lot of things about him that you didn't know and just how different he really is and we see him on the podium you you know he he's not one to call out players but he's one of the most from what I hear uh trash talking coaches there's ever been sarcastic with his guys in a very funny way he's funny on top of everything else but driven and wants to as he said uh rip your neck off and So you're going to really enjoy this interview, I think, uh, with uh, Coach Bowles. that's coming up later in this podcast, so definitely stick around for that. Speaking of Coach Bowles, he addressed Chris Godwin and his situation. You know, Godwin went on a podcast the other day and said, you know, I think the decision is going to be made by myself largely and then, you know, with the help of the medical team. And he talked about how he felt it was more important in some ways to play the second half of the season and what he missed last year, which was the postseason than to maybe start game one. Now, he was at practice, and he was not limited. Uh, other than the non-contact jersey, he was on the injury report as as a full participation. And you can't say that about everybody. But you could say it about Chris. And yet, there's a there's a sort of, you know, earlier in the week or last week, I thought, you know, he's done everything he can do. And if if he feels like it, the last thing is contact. Well, they can't really make contact with him in practice. And... Todd Bowles reiterated that um, when we talked to him on on Wednesday. And here's, here's kind of what he said. He said, look, you know, in terms of like whether he should play this game or another game, is every game counts the same. Uh, but we want him well. You know, I don't want him out there before it's time. If he's healthy and he's ready to go and they clear him and everybody feels like he's ready to go and completely 100%, 100%. Then you take a shot. Anything less than that I'd rather him sit. Now, that's the first kind of time I've heard him say that. Then he went on to say that, uh, you know, in terms of whether or not he should play and and how you're going to judge that, again, he reiterated, he goes, look, until he takes a hit below the waist, which you cannot do in practice, until he gets out there and gets hit on the side or from the front, uh, which we can't simulate, and then he gets up, I don't care if it's five years from now, you're not going to feel any different. His confidence, you know, that you can run around and, and catch every day and you can be normal, that's fine. But until you can get hit down there, no one is really going to know. So it, it's going to be a feel thing for sure. And obviously the more time that goes by, the better he should feel in terms of cutting and accelerating and just doing whatever he needs to do from a football standpoint on that knee. And yet, there will always be this thing that he's got to get out there and play. You you just got to go play. And I'm starting to, you know, early in the week I would have said I was trending towards him playing in this week one game against Dallas. But now, the fact that when you start the season, you're the healthiest you're ever going to be. And when I say you, I mean the football team. And we know they're deep at wide receiver right now, okay? Right now, Julio Jones looks like Julio Jones, you know, the guy, the guy that played in Atlanta in the Super Bowl. Uh, Russell Gage is back. He seems to be okay. Mike Evans is back. He's fine. You've got other receivers right now in Brashard Perriman and Scotty Miller and Jalen Darden. So you have a full complement compliment of guys. No one's hurt yet. You haven't played a game. So now would be the time not to rush him back when you really really break it down that you're going to sustain injuries down the road and each week that goes by um, even though you want him on the field to help you win that injury is coming and then you're going to be able to go to your bench and say okay now it's Chris Godwin's time and what an acquisition that will be what depth that will be for you so I'm starting to think that he won't play in this game But
1: I think Todd Bowles is exactly right if he's not 100% yeah, this is the long game we're playing. Mm-hmm. You know that's why you signed Julio Jones. That's why right. you signed Russell Gage. Is you know last year you had injuries at that position and you needed depth. Well, consider Chris Godwin hurt now, and let him sit a week or two if that's what it takes. I mean, if he's one hundred percent this week, play him. Mm-hmm. But if he's ninety percent, what's the rush? It's a seventeen-week right. season, and you've got Julio Jones. You've got Russell Gage. You You've got veterans. Not just good young receivers. you got veterans. Yeah. And, and we know Tom loves veterans. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I wouldn't rush it back either. The more the more you think about it, the the better it is to wait. Unless he's given a 100% bill of health from the doctors, then that's a different story.
2: Right. You know, somebody asked, too, does it matter that these first two games are on artificial surface? And it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they tend to produce... I mean, they used to tend to, I, I don't really know the, the statistics now, but you would think on the surface that natural grass is probably more forgiving than turf, even though he got hurt because mm-hmm. he got hit directly on the knee at Raymond James on natural, natural grass. Um, but we've seen, you know, Jameis Winston, terra's ACL up, up in New Orleans. I mean, it can happen anywhere, but that, that to me would be a little less of a concern, but a concern. You know, the the problem is with a 17-week season like this, you don't know the game that's going to either put you in or knock you out, right? Let's assume because Tom Brady's your quarterback, if he stays healthy, he doesn't or rarely has has won fewer than 10 games, and that's when it was a 16-game season. So he's going to put you in position to make the playoffs. But what if if it comes down to one game, Uh, not just to make the playoffs, but, say, to get the number one seed or to get a home field advantage? You don't know which game that's going to be. Could it be the Saints game? Because they're a division opponent, and you haven't beaten the Saints in the regular season since Brady's been here. You know, Maybe that game's more important than the Kansas City game in week four, right? Because it's an AFC team, and even though it's at home and Raymond James, you think, well, okay, well, one might be ready by week four, but what if what if New Orleans is the biggest game of the year? So, you know, there's that, but I think still they do have – the luxury, at least in the beginning of the season, while Julio, while Mike, while all those guys are healthy, and you're right, Tom trusts all of them. He's made plays with all of them. You know, there isn't this we can't win without Chris Godwin this week sort of feeling. Um, you want him back, but you want him to be Chris Godwin. And regardless, when he comes back, there will still be that sort of yeah, but let's see, let's see how he responds to getting hit. Mm-hmm. Let's, see, let's see how he gets up. Let's see how he feels confidence-wise. Um, he's still got to go through all of that. So it's just, uh, starting to feel more like he probably won't play, but it also, I'm quite sure it'll be a game time decision. They're not going to tip their hand one way or the other. All right. We're, we're gonna have a little fun with this one. Okay. Did you see that, uh, you know, Tom Brady had teased that he had a special guest coming on. Uh, and he said, anybody know who this is? And Greg Allman got it right. I concurred. A lot of people concurred with who it was. And, it, it was Morgan Freeman or it is Morgan Freeman and he was doing a thing for Under Armour and what was kind of weird about it was Morgan Freeman, one of the great voices of course in, in movies uh, Shawshank and all that. He, uh, it was, he was reading, he was going to read a letter on Tom Brady's stationery from Tom Brady <laughs> while Brady was sitting there. Very odd. Um, but right, one of the greatest voice, you know, the voice of God, right?
1: Well, when you're um, the goat, you get the goat of voiceovers <laughs> to read right? your letter.
2: It's incredible. I'd like to have him do my phone message. You know, uh, Rick is not here right now, um, but you, you could, you know, it, it was, it was kind of cool, and yet we're going to have fun with it because first, let's let's play, let's play. This is Morgan Freeman. By the way, I sent Callie an email about this, and I said I'm not going to listen to this letter until you do it. <laughs> But And he responded. Um, but this is, this is Morgan Freeman reading the letter that Tom Brady has given him on Tom Brady Stationery. This is the letter I've been telling you about. This letter is for you. From what I hear, you're supposed to be the next Tom Brady. What I'm about to say is important. Never let them call you the next Tom Brady. When they compare you to the goats, tune it out. When they say you're a sixth-round draft pick, store it away. Compare yourself to nobody
0: but the kid in the mirror. The one who goes all in, all out, and has the crazy confidence to know that who you are today is just a piece of who you're going to become. This letter's for that you, the one no one will see coming. Sincerely, Tom.
2: It's just, it's too awesome. It's perfect. But it's from Tom, as told by Morgan Freeman, while Tom is sitting there. Classic. Just classic.
1: Now, what if Tom picks somebody else to read it?
2: Um, well, that would be fun too. Although I would do, if Morgan was reading it, I might have read it a little different cuz I'm a big Shawshank fan, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, there's there's a few there's a few people I could think of.
1: Like what if a former buccaneer coach read it? <laughs>
2: I know where you're going with this.
1: Now you could pick a couple of them actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, I could. <laughs> Now, I mean, don't go could, leading the charge. You could, that way yeah. you can
1: pick Shiano. Toes yeah. on the line.
2: No, that's actually Kellen Winslow saying that well, about Shiano. Yeah. Blowing the whistle. Uh, Kellen Winslow. Bruce Arians. When to lose, we booze, baby. Or? I love Tom Brady. Or the coach? Coach. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, man. This letter's for you. From what I hear, you're supposed to be the next Tom Brady. What I'm about to say is important. Never let them call you the next Tom Brady. It it's just it's, it it sounds like what Gruden would say.
1: It does. Right? It does.
2: But then then Morgan Freeman would have to jump in because John Gruden's doing it. And he'd have to say, "I like to think the last thing that went through Coach Gruden's head, besides the Tuck Rule, was how Tom Brady got the best of him." <laughs> When they compare you to the GOAT, tune it out. I miss my friend, Andy Dufresne. I wonder about him down there in San Juan Tinegro. When they say you're a six-round draft pick, store it away. Compare yourself to nobody but the man in the mirror. And then you would have, uh, let's see, um... Like Nicholson and Brady are almost the same guy, but Nicholson has more of an edge. You compare yourself to nobody but the kid in the mirror. That's kind of a Gruden, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that was more of a Gruden. Then. Yeah, that was more of a Gruden.
2: You got to get Nicholson form. You got to do kind of a... Ever take a snap from center? Ever ask your man to put his life front of yours your life in front of his never stand back there call the snap count we call a snap count or quarterbacks get sacked it's as simple as that are we clear are we clear yes crystal crystal (laughs) compare yourself to nobody but the kid in the mirror should have like a michael jackson right here man in the mirror
1: there you
2: go. That's you know, know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. That would be good. The kid in
1: the Mirror. Although that, the kid that may the not be right From Michael Jackson.
2: Exactly. Hee <laughs> um, I'll tell you, the one who goes all out has crazy confidence to know that who you are today is just a piece of who you're going to become. Oh, boy. I'll tell you the letters that no one will see coming. Oh, boy. And a fumbered Nelly.
1: The big uglies. The
2: big uglies. Robin Stubman rolling down. They really racked them down. Keith Jackson. (laughs) I tell you what, man. And that's the end of our letter. I miss my friend Andy Dufresne who crawled like Tom Brady all the way through the seventh round. Through seven rounds of the most foul-smelling quarterbacks you've ever seen and came out on the other side. Smelling like a rose.
1: So you'd say he threw the Lombardi Trophy over a river. That's
2: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Who threw the Lombardi Trophy across the Hillsborough River.
1: And came out the he other came. side drunk off tequila avocado <laughs> or avocado right. tequila.
2: Exactly. You can try avocado tequila like Tom Brady, but don't look in the mirror because you'll look drunk like Tom Brady. Now. <laughs> uh. It's fun. It's I mean to get Morgan Freeman, man. You got some juice, right? You got some serious juice.
1: It's goats and goats,
2: goats of the goat, the goat of voiceovers, as you said, the voice Mm -hmm. of God, right? Yeah, Evan Almighty, all that stuff. I mean,
1: you know, the only other guy you're getting is the, you know, in a (laughs) world.
2: That's right. (laughs) In a world, that's right. Whoever that voiceover guy was for the movies, oh, he was tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not getting him,
1: then then Morgan Freeman's who you get.
2: Yeah, I love Morgan Freeman, man. He's one. Ba- that movie Shawshank is still one of my favorite movies ever.
1: It is that. That is a classic.
2: I, it's one of the like. There are some like few good men we've talked about a lot. I can't. I can't mm-hmm. pass that when it's on. Shawshank. Same thing. Have to watch it. Have to watch it. You know.
1: Wait a minute. I'm watching the U.S. Open here. You know, they got the leaf blower out.
2: Yeah, what's that all about? Are trying to dry the court? somebody sweat on the court? Is I'm not sure. is? I'm not
1: sure. I just looked up, and I'm like, what is that leaf out there? I guess it
2: could be raining, right?
1: <laughs> Might be. It looks like the roof that There's no the roof, trees maybe.
2: inside that building.
1: I don't know. This, I, just, uh, I just happened to look up. That was weird.
2: Yeah. I don't know what this is. The guy from uh, Spain is probably playing and having a good tournament.
1: Yes, he is. And how about the American? Yeah. Tiafoe going to the semis.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's first awesome. of all, we don't have any Americans <laughs> going to the semis lately. And secondly, uh, I, am I right about this? At, at the U.S. Open, first one since Arthur Ashe, first African-American, I think?
1: probably right. I didn't hear that I'm not for sure. Certain, but
2: but it's really cool. Love to see him win it. be fantastic. It's been, you know, the thing is, like, uh, Federer wasn't allowed to come because of the COVID rules and things like that, which I... Don't really understand. Or Djokovic. But, Djokovic. Or Djokovic, I'm sorry, not Federer. Uh yeah, Djokovic. Um, but uh yeah, the guy from the US beat he beat Rafi.
1: Yes, he did. No schlauts there. No.
2: Right? So it's been a cool tournament. I like watching tennis at night too. I don't know why. Like these guys start some of these matches start at like ten o'clock. Yep. That would that would suck. Like if you're you know, good news—you're playing in the stadium on national TV. Bad news—you have to wait till 10 p.m. to play. Be like, holy cow, man! How am I going to stay awake for that? Go out and hit balls at like 5:30, and then again at eight. Like, what do you do? All right, my interview with Todd Bulls coming up in just a second. But first, folks, we know your electric bill is soaring. We got a solution for you. It's called May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years now in a field with a lot of fly-by-night companies may electric solar is committed to you for the long term they guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and service warranty plus with every installation you get 750 dollars worth of surge protection for all your appliances that is the may difference if you uh, visit their hudson hudson showroom they've got uh, all kinds of products and they conduct on-site testing uh, so you can see exactly what they're going to install plus May Electric does not use subcontractors, so you know exactly who is doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. You can lower your electric bill all year long and preserve the quality of your life and the quality of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, again, um, had an opportunity to sit down with uh, Coach Todd Bowles, a couple weeks ago, it was in Nashville prior to the uh, preseason game against the Tennessee Titans. Real enjoyable interview. Real enjoyable guy. Um, just, you know, been in football forever. Of course, former player at Temple for Bruce Arians. Undrafted into the NFL. Signed with the Washington Redskins. A teammate of Doug Williams on that Super Bowl team that beat Denver. And um, was a guy I didn't think he was going to play in the NFL. He had fractured a bunch of bones in his wrist. Uh, in college, in fact, Bruce Arians told him he probably wouldn't play, didn't do anything at the Combine, therefore wasn't drafted, but had a good NFL career. I think seven of his eight years were played in Washington, one year with the 49ers. And then the guy that got him into coaching was Doug Williams, the former Bucks quarterback uh, that started his coaching career at Morehouse. He got Todd Bowles to join him as a defensive backs coach, I think, and then uh, he followed Doug to Grambling State after that when he took over from Eddie Robinson, and away he went. And he has had an unbelievable coaching career. We talked about not just, you know, his ability to uh, take over this team, uh, but just what it was like, you know, the second time around. What he learned about being a head coach when he was with the New York Jets for four seasons. What it's like coaching Tom Brady. What the expectations are. All those things. A really insightful interview, I thought, with uh, Todd Bowles. Hope you will enjoy it. Did you think much about, I mean, we talked a year ago. Did you think about this chance would come?
0: I know not in this way necessarily, but like. I thought I would have opportunities, and I didn't know if it would come or where it would come from. Yeah. You know, once the season, once that cycle kind of passes, you're right back into football mode. So, yeah. you know, during the interviews this year, there was some – I thought were good places. Some I thought wasn't a good fit. Yeah, And I was very content being here. I'm happy here. My family was happy here. And when you get that late in the process, you don't think about it at all. So yeah. it kind of, it, it was a shock that it came so late. But at the same time, we have so much in place that we've done over the years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy to move into. Yeah. Um, defensive coordinators in this league, I don't need to
2: tell you, it, they're few and far between as head coaches, right? It seems like every team is looking for a uh, young quarterback. They want an offensive play caller. There seems to be fewer of you guys and then even fewer of, of African-American head coaches. So um, you kind of faced it two ways, I guess, in, in a sense. Uh, why, why do you, you think that it's it's a struggle for owners or, or, or just you know going through the interview process that defensive coordinators, well, that's the number one thing that, that you have to face that,
0: Maybe the guys on the other side of the ball don't. Maybe because they get younger, going like quarterback coming out of college now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, if you look at the Super Bowl history, there's a bunch of defensive yeah, coaches there is. that have won. Like, <laughs> a ton of them. Like Chick and Parcells and Tomlin and exactly. Coward and Carroll. And you can go on and on. But, yeah, you know, it, it's just part of what the league is going through. I think it changes every couple years no matter what it's going through and you know the fact that i think owners jump on the bandwagon a lot of them rely on the people they hire right and everybody gets a young quarterback after their sophomore junior season and they feel like they gotta have a guy right now right now with hands on that which you know defensive coaches know a lot about football too taking nothing away from (laughs) offensive coaches but we see the game and we know how to manage it the same way, but it's kind of the way the league is going right now and try to make the most of the opportunities when you get them. If you're successful and, and you plan on being, you may need to have
2: hire an offensive coordinator every year, right? Or every other year. Well, I hope true. that's the
0: case. Yes, I hope that's but the that's case. But that's something an
2: offensive coordinator wouldn't necessarily have to do.
0: That's very true. That's very true, but if you hire the right staff, you try to groom them from within. Develop them, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I know there's a you could do
2: 24 hours on this, but what's the one or two things um, that you'll take from your Jets experience that you'll do differently? And, and granted, you have an entirely different staff, right? you got a bunch of guys you've been with sometimes back as a player, so that makes it different. Um, but what are, what are some of the things that...
0: You no, know, the main thing is the experience. You you walk in the door the first time head coach and you hear about everything, right? but you have to make the decisions when they come and each one is different. And the second time around, you have the answers to the test and you don't even sweat it and you kind of go, here, yeah. here, 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 let's go. Yeah. The first time around, let me think about it, let me do this, let right. me do that. So the second time around, you, you just brush off your shoulders and you keep it moving. There are no fire alarm fires. They're all two or three alarm and you don't worry about it as much that's the biggest thing did you did you think you tried to do too much or you talked about like it took away time no I I thought I tried to learn too much Mm -hmm. in my mind and when I learned too much and I didn't watch as much film I'm a film junkie I don't think I saw as much film as I normally see defensively that's why I said I probably tried to learn too much and that's not my job Mm -hmm. my job is to manage the team and run the defense and that's what I'm doing now
2: and, and you're still calling the defense. Still
0: calling it this year because it was, it, was, it happened so late, we didn't want to bring in a new coach right. where we would have to hire or teach everything and spend a, a, an ordinary amount of time with that. So we kept everything the same. But Larry and Casey do a great job helping me out, as well as all the coaches. So we kind of keep that side the same, and yeah. we try to move forward from there.
2: When you were the Jets, you won with Fitz, and then eventually you got a young quarterback in Darnold. This is. I'm not breaking news here, but your success or any coach's success. I mean, how tightly is that tied to the guy with the quarterback? I
0: mean, it's, it's such a big part of football. Well, it's always tied to the quarterback. You know, the more experienced and the better your quarterback is, you know, more comfortable you feel going into certain situations in the ball game. There are young ones that can play and that turn out to be very good, and I understand that too. But having one. That's done it over and over again, and full command of the offense always helps. Tom Brady, what it like to take a team as good as this one, and he's your guy? I hadn't thought about it yet, because <laughs> I've been there for three years. Yeah, but yeah. I know how hard he works. I know how he competes. I know how he thinks. And yeah. we're very similar in how we want to win ball games, and we both get it. Yeah, we're not trying to be flashy about it. However we can win it, we're gonna win it, whether we hand it off fifty times or whether we throw it sixty times, we're gonna try to win the ball game at the end of the day. And it, it doesn't matter with style points. You work for a lot of different guys and,
2: and you and you won a Super Bowl ring and as a as a coach, as a player and as an administrator, which I don't think many people have done. Um but the guys you have now, some of them go back when you were a player. How What do you remember from just like those days at Temple? How did did that shape you, a New Jersey kid coming out of school and and, and coming out and and going to that school and and being coached by some of the guys that you're still coaching
0: with now? Kevin Ross. You know, we played in the same secondary together. He was two years ahead of me. I was a corner, he was a corner. He was all everything, and he started in front of me and broke his ankle, so I got a chance to play. He's been... I probably knew him first out of all of them, Yeah, and he's been, he's like my boy. Somehow he has the most uncanniest way that he can see and have a pulse of the team. Really? Always has. Really? Always has. He's outstanding at that, getting to know the guys, what makes them tick, what doesn't make them tick when they have a problem, when they don't have a problem, telling them the truth and relating everything to me. He's been doing that since we've been here, so. Wow. He's been outstanding that way. I've known Keith probably the second longest. Keith came in a year after me. He was a recruit on a visit. He stayed in my room actually. Really? He <laughs> yeah, actually stayed in my room that night, you know, didn't have the hotels or anything. Yeah. And we kinda abused him pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and he came to the Temple anyway. So. Yeah, so you didn't do your job. So and, and Keith has been coaching longer than all of us because He went right after college. Me and Kevin were still playing. He went in with Jimmy Johnson and those guys, and Keith has been doing it for a long time. And, you know, he's another potential head coach candidate. Then you get to McNair, who came in two years after me as a running back, and, you know, he hadn't changed a (laughs) bit. He still talks a lot. And then Bruce and them came in, I think my red shirt freshman year Bruce, Nick, Clyde, you know, they came in as coaches and you know they came from Alabama and we were on the east coast and they were coming from the wishbone and we were playing an eight and nine man front and everything else and but we were playing against Marino and Flutie and Rich Gannon and all those guys we eventually got back to playing normal defense and (laughs) they've been great and they've they've been great along the way so the, the bond we have Kind of, it kind of evolved over the years. That's from so unique. You've known each other growing up. Players, yeah. student to coaches, you know, and, and we've been on the same staff. This is our third stint, probably. Yeah. We've been in Cleveland. We've been in Arizona. We've been here, and if you add, you know, Casey and Bob and Foot and Byron and all these guys that we were with in Arizona. It's just, it's just a lot of continuity. It really is. Um, you remember BA getting off a bus and him running you to death when you lost the game? We lost to Delaware Saturday and we called it Black Sunday. And the next morning about six AM, everybody had to get up and start running. I hurt my ankle that day so I didn't run the next day. <laughs> Good for <laughs> attitude wise I don't know if I was gonna run it anyway. <laughs> but, but we called it the Black Monday. All that stuff is illegal now, but if that would have happened today, there would be a lot of people on the street. Wow, that's really something. I, you've been with B.A., and obviously you know,
2: people could say, well, you're part of history, but really, uh, Bill Parcells shaped you as a lot as well, right? I mean, you went to Dallas, 3-4, all that. Obviously, he took you to Miami. So how much influence has Parcells had on sort of what you do in football right now?
0: He's had more influence on me as far as me seeing the entire game and the organization. Mm-hmm. Bill was the first one, I think I was in about four or five years, then I went to Dallas. Yeah. And Bill was the first one to ask me what I saw in practice. Mm. And I told him about the defensive backs because I'm the defensive back coach. He said, no, what did you see in practice? Mm. He said, what did the receivers do? No. He said, so you need to see everything. That goes on in practice. You can learn from every coach, good or bad. You need to see when the owner walks in, where the general manager stands, where the scouts stand, mm-hmm. who's looking at what. You need, to see, you need to see the entire game and expand your horizons. He said, you'll become a better coach. He said, you may not know nothing about offensive line, but look at how the offensive line coach teaches. Mm-hmm. What does he do good? What does he do bad? What can he get better at? What did you learn? And that started me to start looking Even at big, everything from a bigger picture and I think that kind of led me to where I am right now. I mean, Bruce had a big deal to do with it sure. from my college and we were Cleveland and Arizona and he had a big deal. But The guy that got me into coaching was Doug Williams. Doug, yeah. was, Doug was my teammate in Washington when he came from the USFL I came out of college so mm-hmm. there was an age difference but he lived down the street and his mother made me sweet potato pies for Thanksgiving no kidding we were both scouting on the eastern region him in Jacksonville me in Green Bay and he asked me that I want to be a defensive coordinator and I told him no about five or six times I had never coached before and he could have had his pick of the litter, he was Doug Williams, and he said, no, I see you in practice every day, hmm. I want that to be you. And I finally said, let me give it a shot, and I went down to Morehouse with him, but between Doug and Bill and Bruce, and there, there were a bunch of other ones, my defensive coordinator, Pettibone, Wade, the one year I was with him, Coach Andy Reid. It was it was a lot of guys I took a lot of things from. Took stuff from everybody. Bill got me to see the big picture. Uh, Bruce tells me always to push forward, never pull back. You know, it, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of Andy teaches you, you know how to stand in front of a room and command a team. And Wade teaches you to enjoy the game. And he has such a different take on three, four defenses. Mm-hmm. Bill's was more two gap, knock you upside the head. Wade was more play on the other side of the ball and go get them and and both of them worked. I mean, both of them worked and both were very good at it. So I kind of put Walked everything the in ball. the Smorgasbord and from when I played all the way up through the years and I was with Zimmer for a couple of years as well. So I was with a lot of great defensive guys. You uh
2: you I mean, your sideline demeanor is fairly staid, right? I mean, <laughs> You're not going to do what Bruce does to the referees necessarily, and, and and for that matter, you know we see on the podium and 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 you know. But the the first of all, where did that came from? When Tony Dungy was here, he told me when he was competing, he was just the opposite. He was like a hothead. He had to learn how to control that. Um, but like, where does that come from? Is that is that growing up, parents, like your ability to. To not do what a lot of coaches do you know, but but we're gonna to get to what you're like in, in practice.
0: I think I was coaching one day and I used to go off the handle quite a bit. Did you? Especially at more out and grambling. Okay. But when I go off the handle, it's like it's hard to go back down. And the players react differently. They're more yeah. timid than, as opposed to and the calmer I am, the more comfortable they are for playing. So I only allow myself to go off the handle two times a year. So <laughs> Have I, you I used that, one that's yet? My, I don't think I've used one yet. Okay. So Everybody, yelling is not me going off the handle. Oh, okay. Going off the handle. There's takes, a
2: different level.
0: There's a whole different level. There's <laughs> an entirely different level. Okay. And believe me, it is not a pretty sight. So I'm trying to protect me from me. And, okay. So you, you know, keep that tamp down. Inside I you. have to coach. It's all about the next play and how do I get this guy to do what I need them to do, so my demeanor on the sideline, on the outside may be calm, but on the inside, I'm trying to cut your throat out. You're, I'm, you're fighting it, right? I'm trying to cut your throat out, and I'm like, okay, let me do this, 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 and this, because we had a lot of young guys when I came here, so yeah. it was important not to fly off the handle, of so they go spastic, and we not have anything, get anything accomplished, so yeah. that part of it, I had to learn and i i kind of grew into it so where does this uh
2: sarc you were a player but where does this sarcasm come from everybody talks about where is the needling in the and and you're funny this was what we they all universally say that you have a really good sharp tongue sense of humor and you can dice them up with the best of
0: them we have Our serious side of coaching, and then we have some of the sarcastic side when you can, because you got to make them enjoy the game. But you got to get your point across, right? And then you got to bring them back down to earth, so
2: (laughs) humble them a little bit. There's a lot of
0: a lot of different as you get to know which guys are capable of taking what, and plus on the field they get talked to a lot. Can they do their job and still hear? the wives talking at the same time so then there's there's a theory to all that so that loosens them up and become they become more of themselves so right you really try to see what makes them tick so when you know they get in situations you can count on them to do how certain things react yes, you know how they're going to react by how I talk to them so it helps me get to know them better so it has kind of a four part type of You
2: really analyze this, I mean, uh, you've kind of broken
0: this oh, down yeah, a little bit. yeah, I do. And I know what guys can do what and a lot of things, and they're proud of themselves when they do a lot of things, so you have to knock them down a few. You, you know, <laughs> Dean is one of them, he gets an interception, and, and I have to drop in four or five of them, he's happy, and I was like, that's pretty good, you know? And pretty much the same guy, I did that in third grade, you know? <laughs> so he's, so it kinda goes pretty much, and it, it's, but there, there's the serious side of coaching, but, you have to enjoy the game, yeah. and I enjoy the game when I'm out there. Yeah, and that's that's how we loosen up. The that's looser they, they are, and the, the better, and better they are. Summer. The faster they play, and the more they talk. So that works for us at times. Yeah, you know. And then there's other times where you just have to sit there and take it. And there's no mess talking. It's there's teaching, there's coaching, there's yelling, there's sarcasm. You kind of get the whole gamut.
2: You got them a little bit in in training camp one day in the huddle. I, I mean. It wasn't long, but it was pointed where you didn't like the middle errors that were made It was hot, and you were telling them to push through a little bit.
0: I'm pretty much a straight shooter. You know, I, I try not to give them any wooden nickels. If, if you want to know where you stand, they can come in their office and ask me. Yeah. They don't have to ask anybody else. I will tell them verbatim yeah. what I think, what I see, what you need to work on, what you're good at, what you're not good at. and. I also tell them when they do a great job, you know, it's not browbeating, it's coaching. When they know it's not personal. Yeah. You can yell at them and do anything you want. There there's a difference in saying that was a dumb play than saying Your you're game. a dumbass. Yeah. And that, that's personal. Yeah. So you have to understand that as a coach. And the game has changed, you know. There yeah. there's not a lot of yelling or things you can get away with. You, so, you have to get to know your guys so they understand it's coming from the right place. And I think that's important. Yeah, players have changed. <laughs> Tell me. A whole it. lot, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, gosh, Every it's, day. It's, it's, you know, get them out of their six, phones a little bit. From six weeks to two a day. That's what I said. I, if yeah. I probably I, grab Gucci Man or somebody and, and put the playbook into a rap song, i have geniuses <laughs> out there. But, you know, it's. it's <laughs> You don't even it's, allow music that much. It was rare the other day you had some music playing. Until we get down to where we need to get to, yeah. you don't know, earn that right, Yeah, you that's can. a carrot, So right. if you don't know your defense or offense now, yeah. when I put music on, you're really not going to know it. Right. So why give them that now? Until you show me the consistency of what you've learned, then we'll progress. Right now it's just stretching. Yeah. And... Until we can play and chew gum at the same time, <laughs> then we won't have music.
2: And there's been a, some communication errors at Yes, there has. The
0: and it all depends on how they're feeling that day. And there's a lot of young guys, I get that, but it's one for all, all for one. What was your, what was your mom like? What was your parents like? Who, who shaped Todd
2: Bowles? My what?
0: mother did. I could not go out and play unless I did my homework. Okay. And see, we had one of the biggest streetball championship games you could ever have. And I didn't do the windows that morning. It? No, they post they they, they postponed the game back. <laughs> <laughs> so you could play until <laughs> so I could do the windows. Wow. And then they go out and then I had to go out because I was the quarterback and I had to go out oh, and we okay. played the street ball game oh, wow. for the championship. So I could not and after you after you ate, you always had to wash your dishes. You could leave it in the sink and come back 30 minutes later and say, I'll do them later. You God, I need this woman in my life Right house. now. You uh, better have them done right now. And then she was, a you know, at night, she was a part-time. She worked at the library at the school I went to play pickup basketball at. And okay. before I had to go to basketball, I had to stop in the library do my homework. Then I could go play basketball. Wow. So she shaped me. As far as everything that I've known and done and everything, she and she she didn't go to too many games because she worked too tough. Yeah, and yeah, she shaped me. She worked at the library. Else. What else did you do? And she worked at Merck, uh, the big company in Raw She worked at Merck and she was a line person and everything else but yeah. she she did everything she could possibly do wow. and it was four of us at the time and my brothers and sisters I was the youngest so oh I got stuck with the oh dishes boy. a lot you know and my older one he's two years ahead of me he was the better athlete at the time when we were younger now I started getting taller and I kind of passed him <laughs> yeah, by you, but yeah you did <laughs> I've always played up because he always picked me on his team and, and that and, helped you right right and then My middle brother was the best dancer out of the group I mean he was like the modern day John Travolta he would go to Studio 66 win awards and all yeah he he would do all that stuff like disco club dancing it wasn't anything special And my sister was smart and she could sing and you know she, she went to college for the first time didn't finish but she went to college and She always braided my hair. I had the old Michael Jackson afro. Sure you did. Yeah, you did. To play baseball, (laughs) I had to wear a baseball cap. So she would always braid my hair down so I could fit my hat on my head. So you know, they they all served their purpose in raising me, and you know that's kind of how I got to where I am. You thought baseball was your sport, right? Baseball was my favorite sport. Yes. Who was your Who was your favorite player growing up? Were you a
2: fan the of the team the, Gander, team? the
0: Yankees, I was a diehard Yankee really? guy. Okay. Rich Gossage and Ron oh, Davis, okay. two bullpen guys with the Yankees, Greg Nettles, Willie Randolph, oh, you, had a good, you had the good Yankee teams to record. yeah. Madden yeah. Mattingly, I was a big Mattingly guy. And, yeah. You know, Chambliss, and Mickey Rivers, and all those guys, I kind of played. I was a big diehard Yankee guy. Your Your family's incredible.
2: Do you... Do you you instill in them the same type of discipline, they have to do the chores and the
0: whole, did you bring that to your, to your brood? I hope so. In this modern-day era, I don't think so. But <laughs> but relative so, to everybody else, they have. I try to make sure they grow up way better than I grew up and <laughs> have way more things than I have, and they're probably a little spoiled that we're way. We're all doing But that. they are well-grounded. We're and all they, doing that. they are well-mannered, and they do not have big heads. So that part of it, I got done.
2: You said to me uh, last year, uh, you were watching, uh, I think it was... Um, your son at uh, Jesuit, which is Troy, right? He's coming right. to play at George. That and sometimes you couldn't believe that was your son making these plays and things, and that how proud you were of him. But you didn't. You don't coach like you're not that coach on the sideline. You're just a parent in the stands, I guess. I mean, obviously he grew up around the game. He knows the game. You you, you are his life coach, so I mean, it's not as if this is a secret that they're they got it in the football business, right? however what's it like seeing the success I mean we're all parents we're all proud of our kids you've got one at Rutgers now one was a top recruit at Georgia I mean what what's that like for you?
0: It's unbelievable I mean it, it's I let them play until they got to the point where they were serious when they would ask me to show them things and right the best thing that happened to me with them was COVID yeah and I got to go work with them every single day we went out because they were so home they wouldn't sit in the house every day we have a park across the street we went to yeah. and we worked every single day and I taught them all the fundamentals of the game and how to play the game and wow. you know we watch film once a week on their opponents and we'll just watch one game and I'll tell them they're doing this this or this but he, his attention to detail is outstanding so yeah all the other stuff the coaches can give them I'll tell them how to play it what to do what kind of scheme are they playing how they're playing against the other team so what he's see. got to look out for and the rest of it his work ethic his hustle his athleticism he's got to get the fundamentals down in practice and if he's good enough he's good enough and he turns out being he's, damn good he's been very good <laughs> <laughs> they've both been very good and tyson's coming up we'll see where he goes but you know they've both been very good and i'm getting them out of the house and I'm just happy about that. What what does Tyson like to play? Tyson runs track. He runs track. He runs track. He runs track so he's not a football guy yet so we'll see. And was Sydney an athlete too or? She could run but she was a cheerleader. Yeah. She was a cheerleader but she could run.
2: Yeah. Finally just there's so much focus on every one season right? And, And this is unrelated to maybe your story but I'm doing something on on Tom. Just the three years that he's the impact. You played against him, you competed against him. Now you coach with him. You won a Super Bowl with him. Can you describe sort of what the impact is of him? And he's he's a unicorn. I get that um, on this organization or on 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 the community. I mean, from where I sit, it's it's been an unbelievable ride, right? Right? Like correct. But like, what's it like to to watch? that winning and the culture and everything that he brings um, now that you're on his team and, and you coach him?
0: I think when you have a guy like that he raises the level of consistency and work ethic and practice without saying anything because just, he's Tom just, Brady just doing it, and yeah. he comes out there and he expects to win and he's got all these accolades there are guys around him that want to be just as good not let him down Mm-hmm. carry their weight, do all the little things right. They see how he trains. They see how he works. And they want to do that on their own without anyone even saying anything. Yeah, They want to learn how to watch film more. They want to learn how to do fundamentals more. They want to learn how to get in better shape. They want to learn how to eat right. you mm-hmm. know. And they just want to compete because they don't want to let the guy down. Yeah. You know? And that I think he brings that to any team he goes to just by default, you know, and I think that makes the team's expectation rise Rise, and give guys who haven't won in a while, certain guys won in college and everything else, a sense of belief that they can win, so it kind of raises everyone's level to try and get better from what I've seen when he's gotten here. Levante David is 31, 32 years old, Uh, you've
2: been around a lot of linebackers, a lot of leaders. What is it about him you think that's made
0: him as consistent and successful as as he's been, as you've been with him for a few years? He's always hungry. He's always hungry to get better. He's always hungry to compete, I think. Monte has an old-school linebacker mentality. If we played a game in the mud and pouring down rain and he could get his uniform dirty, he would be very happy. And and he had that mentality. Comfortable being miserable, right? Yes, and I think that's a great thing. The more you poke him, the tougher, the harder he plays. You're not going to just beat him. You're going to have to kill him to beat him. He's not going to back down, but... Over the past few years, he's also matured and understands his body and what he needs to do to get in shape and understand that he's broken down a little bit because he wasn't training certain ways or eating the right things, and I think he understands that now. So he's doing a better job of taking care of himself off the field, and he's gotten better on the field because of that this summer.
2: All right, again, my thanks to uh, Coach Bowles for that interview.
1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: So I'm watching the Tampa Bay Rays, and they had a chance to sweep the Boston Red Sox. And one of the better stories of the year, Steve, was Yanni Chirinos comes in the game and pitches three scoreless innings and he had not been on, I guess, a major league mound in two years.
1: That's correct. Hadn't had a Incredible. win in three years.
2: Three years, yeah. And he got the win. Um, pitched very well. Like I said, uh, he got into some jams, got out of them, threw a lot of strikes, had to splitter going. What was the coolest thing about it was this, that you could see he was very emotional, almost too emotional in the beginning. He was breathing hard, the whole thing. Once he calmed down a little bit, he got control of his emotions. But every inning, when he would get out of the inning, man, you could just see the fire in him and how, how relieved he was, how how pleased he was to be back on the mound. I mean, it was, it was quite a performance and quite a baseball story. I mean, when you go through the kind of arm trouble that he experienced and have to spend two years uh, hoping you get back, uh, wanting to get back, and then you finally stand on that mound and go out and do what he did Against the Red Sox, just just one of the one of the more memorable games of the season, I think.
1: It was. And it's good to see. And it, look, it's another arm for mm-hmm. the Rays down the stretch. To get you know, they only pitched Jeffrey Springs what three innings tonight? That's it. To give him some rest, they did that to Drew Rasmussen a few weeks ago. Sure. Um, and Drew came out firing with no hitters and and things like that late in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to rest Springs a little bit, give his mm-hmm. arm. A few less innings going down the stretch, and adding guys like Chirinos, and then you have Tyler Glass now, who pitched a rehab assignment tonight. One inning looked really good.
2: It looked uh, great, yeah.
1: Um, you know, his fastball was hitting ninety six to ninety eight during his one inning in Triple A Durham. So, right, you know, maybe even more reserves coming up, or, or you know, arms in the that bullpen to help as as the Rays try to you know fight for a playoff. But Yankees unfortunately swept a double header. Yeah on on Wednesday night. So they're still five games back of them, but um Seattle did lose here so what a game up on Seattle, game and a half up on Toronto, and several games up on Baltimore for the So uh Rays look, just keep winning. And here's the other thing. The ninth straight loss at Tropicana Field for the Red Sox.
2: Oh, it's incredible. They they have lost to the to the to the Rays and to the Blue Jays this year like twenty games or something like that and I think they're about six or seven games over 500 the rest of the way so you know those two teams mm-hmm. have had their numbers but especially the Rays and especially a drop
1: yeah it's been the, the 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 mastery over Boston this year is kind of what they did not quite but pretty close to what they did to Baltimore last year.
2: Baltimore yeah mm-hmm.
1: and that's why the Red Sox are in last place
2: well yeah, absolutely I mean you can't you can't lose like that in your own division and, and expect to do anything and again you look at the payrolls and all that and you wonder how the rays are doing it but they've also the other guy that played in durham on wednesday night was Wander franco mm-hmm. and he had a base hit and so he's getting closer look i love the, the the pickups that they have made throughout the season i think that's the difference um that l- lineup has now lengthened and of course in the off season, they did a great job as well um but it is it is really starting to come together and they're just they've just been playing great baseball if they if they need uh, a shutout, they end up they pitch a shutout. If they um, need a bunch of runs, they've been scoring some more runs. They, they didn't on Wednesday night. Obviously, they won one nothing, but um, still, uh, winning is the thing. And you can feel the momentum that they have. Uh, Rosarina is starting to get hot again, and he can carry it for months on a time. We know that uh, they got Brandon Lau back. I think it's a matter of time before he starts hitting. Manny mm-hmm. Margot is picked right up where he left off. Um, I love Betancourt. I love some of the new guys that they've that they've added to this team uh, to go with Ramirez and some of those guys they've gotten back. So they're going to be a, a really tough out in the postseason, especially if they pitch the way they have pitched. I can't, Steve, I can't remember the last time they were this deep in the bullpen, um, and even among the starters. And, and we and Shane McClanahan is still you know trying to fight his way back into the into the rotation. And I mean, they just go out there and put up zeros every single night.
1: Well, and they're going to have to test that depth because they've got 18 games in the next 17 days. After yeah, it's the day. tough. They have an off day yeah. today, and then they don't have another off day till September 26, including a double Shoot. header against Toronto next week. So,
2: wow, yeah,
1: you know it's going to be this is going to be a tough stretch of 18 games, and you're playing at the Yankees, at Toronto, then you get Texas at home, then right. you then you get Houston and Toronto at home, right? You know that's that's the 18 game stretch here, so. Fifteen of the games against teams in the playoffs at this point, and still fighting for a position. You know where they're going to end up. So you can make or break your season here in the next seventeen days. You know you need to get some. You need that pitching to hold up for this time. And and if you can get Glass now back for maybe later in the month, Chirino's coming back tonight. Showed how he Heck can help. Yeah. I mean, you know all these all these players. You know it's gonna be it's gonna be a struggle for this front office to negotiate this this roster now you do have the expanded rosters to twenty eight players instead of twenty six so that helps yeah, but you know up and down and when you send somebody down, you can't bring them back for ten days et cetera so it's gonna be right. a it's gonna be a struggle for the next you know two and a half weeks but you know the pitching so far the whole year has held up,
2: yeah and it's gotten deeper and it's gonna get deeper if you can use glass now for a few innings here and there. I don't think they'll have time to build him up necessarily as a, as a you know a bulk inning guy necessarily, but maybe three four innings before it's all said and done. And uh, man, his stuff was electric. You know, still has the breaking ball. Control was a little bit off as you would expect. I think he threw about 20, 21 pitches or something like that to get out of an inning, but um, struck out a couple and did really well. So, yeah, it's it, they're just playing really good baseball, and this is when you want to play well. And win however you have to win, right? Get one more run than the other guys, and that's sort of what they've been doing. So good for the Rays. The Bucks uh, will continue their preparations, of course, for their Sunday night game. We've got football tonight. How about that? The National Football League starts tonight. Ba-ba-ba-ba. We've got the world champion, Los Angeles Rams, hosting the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills.
1: I hear the planes from Buffalo to L.A. were packed on Wednesday.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, Reports from
1: people on the planes that it's uh, a lot of Buffalo fans heading out there.
2: Bills Nation, right?
1: Bills Mafia.
2: Bills Mafia, excuse me. Why wouldn't I know that? Of course I know that. Bills Mafia. Yes. Yeah. Not that we condone that, but, you know, that's what they call themselves. So, uh, yeah, they'll travel well. And, and, and so far, you know, it's one of those places out there that, uh, I remember last year, what was it? The, the, uh, the championship game (laughs) There was probably as many or more 49 fans Mm -hmm. in the building than there were (laughs) the Rams. Um, that's just the way it goes out there in LA, but uh, that'd be a great trip. I mean, look, uh, and, and every, here's the thing. I'm a little nervous for the Buffalo bills in this, in this sense, who's not picking them to win the Super Bowl or at least be there. Right. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, they're they're favored
1: in this game tonight against the champs.
2: Oh, yeah. On the road against Mm -hmm. the world champions, Mm -hmm. which is weird to me. But everybody, everybody has the Bills in the Super Bowl, and many people have them winning it, and Josh Allen is your MVP. So, yeah, what could go wrong when everybody's riding you like that, right? A lot of expectations, man. But Von Miller going back against his former team, that's going to be fun. Uh, I don't know that the Rams are as good as they were last year simply because they lost Vaughn Miller, they lost some pieces. Matthew Mm -hmm. Stafford, they say, is okay, although he's had some elbow issues. And there's nothing like, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. I mean, you definitely are the measuring stick of every team now in the NFL, and they're going to get everybody's best shot. And if they get Buffalo's best shot, it will be tough for them to win, but they are at home, and it should be a great game to start it. And then in a couple days, before you know it, we'll be in Dallas. They'll be headed out there Saturday. We're going to talk about the Bucs. We'll break down the Bucks and the Cowboys. I really believe this is their year. And the offensive line issues on both sides, both teams. Right now, going into that with that, I think the defenses are going to determine the winner of this game. And it's just going to be really, it's going to be great to get the season kicked off because I don't know what to expect. I mean, I I think when I look at the Bucks team, we'll get into this tomorrow a little bit more. You know, last year, it was, let's go for two, right? We're going to run it back, go for two, whatever. Um, let's bring the band back. And, and it made sense, right? Like, these guys deserve another chance to defend their title. But they brought everybody back. And they didn't quite get there. Um, I, think they were, I think they were hungry last year. I think they did what they could. But some of the details got lost, and they weren't as disciplined. And we saw what happened in the final game with some of the breakdowns against Cooper Cup and whatnot. What's interesting about this year is the core of that entire Super Bowl team is back again, but not every player. But now you've added some players who have not won a Super Bowl, who are here to win a Super Bowl. So you have this renewed sort of hunger on the team, which I think is really important, um, Whether it's Julio Jones or Kyle Rudolph or Akeem kicks, you know, there are guys that are here for only one purpose and they're hungry. And that that hunger is good. It's good for a team that, you know, has kind of been together the last two seasons, won one Super Bowl, had a lot of success, won thirteen games last year. Um, but they need they need that they need that that refreshment, and I think they got it in these new players. So we'll break down the game against the Dallas Cowboys a little bit on tomorrow's podcast, as well as we'll have an interview with yet another Buccaneer, Levant, Levante David had a chance to sit down with him as well. And, of course, this is his 11th season already. It's hard to believe the uh, longest-tenured Buccaneer. Uh, of course, you know, for my money, a guy that's going to go in the ring, ring of Honor for sure has damn near Hall of Fame numbers. And it's the last year of his contract. He's uh, suffered some losses personally, and he's also become a first-time father, which he talked about, which is really cool. So. You'll enjoy our interview on tomorrow's podcast with Levante David. All right. Thanks for listening. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tempe Times. Have a great day, everybody.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.